Matthew chapter 6 and verses 19 through 34, we are continuing our journey through the book of Matthew. And uh, right now we are kind of smack dab in the middle of the famous Sermon on the Mount. And uh, and so this is uh, this is a continuation. Obviously, we've been talking about this last few weeks. And so this is what Jesus says, starting in verse 19. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. If your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Then the light that is in you is darkness. How great is the darkness? Now, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. For this reason, I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on it. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. that They do not sow, they don't reap, they don't gather into barns, Yet your heavenly Father uh, feeds them. Are you are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe the lilies of the field, how they grow. Do not to- they don't toil, they don't spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon, in all his glory, clothed himself like one of these. But if God clothes, uh, so clothes the grass of the field. Which is alive today, tomorrow is thrown into the furnace. Will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith. Do not worry then, saying, What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Um, before we talk about these verses, I'd like to take a moment to consider the subjects of the last three weeks and, and the scale that is getting smaller and smaller with this conversation that Jesus is having. So two weeks ago, we had this conversation about uh, the importance and significance of our righteousness before God. And then last week, we talked about our justification before man. And then here is a a conversation about peace within ourselves. And so the focus is becoming more specific, more more refined, smaller and smaller. So our righteousness before God, our justification before man, and now our peace within ourselves. In these verses, Jesus addresses worry and anxiety and stress. And uh, he is talking about it in an everyday sense. He's not talking about it in big, broad terms. He's purposefully talking about everyday anxiety, stuff that we think about every day. He brings up money, which is a topic that he talks about more than any other topic in, the entire, in his whole ministry. The number one topic he talks about is, is money because that probably is, if not the number one, it's, it's close stressor in our lives. Uh, We think about it. We worry about it. 
it, it, even if we're doing okay, it's still there. It's always present. It's always in the forefront of our mind. We're always thinking about it. Uh, even if we're doing well, we're thinking about retirement. We're thinking about, um, can we afford this vacation? Can we, can we afford uh, to, to, to take a risk financially? Can we afford to kind of invest something or, or, or start a business or whatever? There's always this kind of constant thing uh, that is on our mind that is money. And so uh, he brings up our diet, uh, which I know like <laughs> some of us are like, oh, why is he bringing up? The diet thing, but uh, it, it is a, it is a thought. He's using it as uh, an example of provision. Uh, give us, Lord, our daily bread. It's it's just being uh, putting food on the table, and so it's just an everyday consideration. He brings up clothing, and he's he's really he's kind of speaking to our appearance and and what we look like. He even goes on to say. You know, look how I clothed the lilies of the field. Solomon, who was the richest man who ever lived, couldn't compete with these, the beauty of these flowers. I mean, uh, we're talking about our appearance and how the world sees us. And so, but ultimately, these are everyday stressors. And, and this is to say, uh, this conversation is to say that Jesus is opposed to anxiety. Uh, I've worked in a place, and I'm sure you have too, where... Uh, the, 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 the thought, the communication was, if you're not stressed, then you, don't, you must not care. If you, don't, if you don't feel this, the burden of this, if you're not working stressed or anxious, then it, it's evidence that you actually don't really care. Um, Jesus would take the opposite point of view. And uh, he is very much, uh, he sees worry and anxiety as a negative. Uh, he's, he puts it this way. Who of you being worried can add a single hour to their life? And in fact, uh, it's interesting that he brings that up and uses that, that, uh, that statement because I, I would say stress and worry takes away from your life. Uh, it is not good for your health. And in the time that we have on this planet, stress and worry can, can uh, uh, I know this is a crass way to say it, but stress and worry has kind of peas in the pool, if I'm, if I'm honest with you. Uh, we're, we're, we, we, we can't even enjoy what God's given us because we're so worried about all the other stuff. Have you ever been on vacation and you could not even enjoy the vacation because you were so consumed with life back at the, back at the ranch? Uh, I, I have done that. So what do you do? I mean, I think it's obvious even over the last three years, uh, the, the world, this culture has turned up the stress dial significantly. Uh, to quote the uh, the movie Spinal Tap, it's turning it up to 11, and uh, and for whatever reason, I'd say all of us, pretty much all of us, would say we are more stressed out, anxious, worried, burdened, overwhelmed than we were two years ago, three years ago. It just is is life. So what do you do? Jesus gives this powerful directive in verse 33. And, and this is really the culmination of the whole conversation. All, all these verses lead up to his statement. He said, this is the directive. This is what I need you to do. Matthew six thirty three. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. All these other things will be taken care of. I'm sure we've heard this verse many, many, many times. But what is he talking about? What does that mean? What, what is he even saying here? Um, he's really encouraging 
us to consider two things that are often overlooked and underestimated, two incredibly invaluable aspects of our everyday life. He's, he's encouraging us to consider priority and perspective. Priority and perspective. Everyone lives their life according to their own personal priorities. What you prioritize gets your time, it gets your focus, it gets your attention. Uh, what you prioritize is where you kind of aim your life, the trajectory of your life. That's That gets preeminence, it gets first billing, and then everything else kind of falls into place after that. So uh, for those of us who, uh, if you remember the days when you were single, and if the priority was getting married, then everything went towards thinking about putting yourself out there uh, on dating apps or whatever, going to the local pub. Uh, but you're like, you're trying your best. You're always consumed. If I could just get married. For those of us who uh, have had children or, or, or wanted to have children, that, that we really put a lot of emphasis on, uh, you know, that process. I'm just going to let that sit there for a second. And <laughs> this is not health class. Uh, but we, 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 we want that to happen, and, and our thought, our belief is that if that's, that's the priority. If that would happen, then everything else would fall into place. A lot of us are very uh, work-minded, and so that's the priority. So everything else takes a back seat, and so we live life according to our priorities. Um, and, of course, our perspective, everyone has a unique but limited perspective. We see, there's an old saying, you don't see the world as it is, you see the world as you are. We see things through our own personal, customized lens. We, uh, we see things, we interact with things, our perspective is specific to where we are and where, where, what we've experienced and our personality and our thought, our thought life and, and, and very unique to us, but it is very limited. We see very little objectively. We are extremely subjective, and uh, everyone's got bias. Everybody's got their own kind of motive and, and, and their, own, uh, their own vantage point, and it is limited, but it is specific, and it is something that is uh, being talked about by Christ here. Our, our, um, this message, this directive, seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and everything else will be taken care of is an encouragement to have those things lifted. So the priority of our life lifted to a new place. The, the perspective of our life to be lifted to a new place. Uh, our perspective, our, his ways are higher, his thoughts are higher. He wants to give us a different vantage point. Our priority being lifted, I want to share this verse with you. This is Romans chapter 8, verses 5 and 6, um, having to do with our priority. I love this statement. Those who are according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. The mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace. Uh, that would be a conversation about priority. 
If your mind, if your focus is flesh, the things of this world, uh, just what we see, what we feel, what we experience here, uh, all this is going away. This is putting all our eggs in the basket of something that is temporal, that is temporary, that is immediate. And, and he's encouraging us, lift your perspective, lift your priorities, consider the things of heaven, consider the things of his kingdom, Can think, consider the things that are eternal, that last forever. True life and true peace are found as we are set on the things of the spirit that are eternal. He said this um, in the verses we read earlier, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that has, uh, if the, then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? What are we looking at? What are we seeking? What is it that our eyes are fixed on? We, um, I think that we forget, because who communicates this to us? in our everyday lives. In fact, I would say we hear the, the opposite. Um, how often do we consider that our longings and what we feel on the inside and the things that we desire and crave and hunger for, these are spiritual longings. And then we look to natural things to bring fulfillment to spiritual longings. You are first spiritual. You are not Uh, a human being having a spiritual experience. You're a spiritual being having a human experience. You are first and foremost spiritual. And the things that we crave are deeper than just the flesh. It is something that is in us that is quite spiritual. And then we ask things that are natural to bring fulfillment to that. And when we do, as Jesus says, your, your eye, your perspective, it grows dark. Hopelessness sets in. Life becomes sour, becomes dark, it becomes negative. There is no hope in humanity apart from the hope of humanity who is Christ. There's nothing in this world that can bring satisfaction or fulfillment to our souls. We were made for so much more. C.S. Lewis once said that if you find within yourself uh, desires that cannot be fulfilled by the things of this world, it is, a, it is proof positive that you were made for another world. This is about perspective and priority. Uh, in Luke chapter 10, you'll find a, uh, one of my favorite stories and my, one of my favorite interactions that Jesus has during his time here on earth. Uh, he loved this family. He loved Lazarus. And uh, Lazarus had sisters. And uh, and, and in this moment, in this story, in Luke chapter 10, Jesus is taking a breather, uh, a lunch break, and he is in the home of Mary and Martha. And uh, and then you get in this this really simple story, you get contrasted these two very different approaches to having Jesus in your presence. You have Mary who is enamored with Jesus and is doing nothing but just taking this time in and spending time and just sitting on the on the floor crisscross applesauce just just completely fixated on Jesus and then you have Martha who is 
consumed with making everything perfect. I mean, Jesus is in your home. You're going to make uh, the best lunch you've ever made. You're going to make uh, everything smell nice. You're lighting candles for breezing. You are, you are making sure that everything looks spectacular. And, uh, and so at some point, Jesus has this, this encouragement towards Martha. He said, Martha, you are so worried and so bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. And he, and he uses Mary as the, as the example. He says, Mary's chosen the good part. She is focused on me, not doing for me. Now, um, for millennia, Martha has been viewed as what not to do. So we get the story and we're like, okay, don't be like Martha, be like Mary. And so she's always been, she's gotten a bad rap, I'll be honest with you. And I, I, I want to go out on a limb here and say, Martha is in, in no way being positioned as what not to do. She's being profiled as what is. She is just what is. In fact, she's all of us. We're all Martha. We are all Martha. And I know in our minds and our hearts, we're like, man, I would love to be like Mary. I would too, but let's be honest with each other. We're all worried and bothered about so many things. All of us are. I get absolutely bent out of shape, tied up in knots over simple trivial things that don't matter at all. They can ruin my entire day. Stupid stuff that does not matter. And when I do get tied up in knots over these silly little bitty piddly things, it is proof positive that I don't fully trust the way that I feel like I fully trust God to be sufficient. It's just the human condition. It's what we are. It's who we are. It's how we are. So when, when, when the statement is, seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and everything else will be taken care of, what I'm guilty of and what I think we can all relate to is like Martha, we seek all the other things and we hope that his kingdom, his righteousness is taken care of. We'll take care of all the other stuff. And we focus on that and we fixate on that. We're Martha. We are so worried and so bothered about everything else. But the one thing where our eyes are supposed to be fixed. Our personal priority and perspective comes from our vantage point, our current circumstances, our fears, our concerns, what, what bothers us, what troubles us, what overwhelms us. And what we love. Our perspective, our priority comes from our heart. Jesus uses money as a conversation, as a topic here, because it is one of the, the largest areas that consumes us in our natural lives. Consider what he says in verse 21. Where your treasure is, there your heart is. What has your heart, has your priority, your treasure will gravitate to that. Your bank account will aim at the things that are important to you. There are things that are important to you that I could not care less about. 
There's people that spend thousands of dollars every year to go see sporting events. I could not care less. There's people that spend thousands upon thousands of dollars every year to go see concerts. I have the record, and my, my house is way more comfortable than wherever that plant band is going to be. And, my, and, and truthfully, no one's going to bump into me. And I don't have to smell anybody. And the beverages and snacks are way cheaper. Um, those are just not things that I value. Now, I'm not, I'm not talking bad about people that value those things because there's, I've spent so much money over the last few years on Michael Jordan tennis shoes. And so many people would say, that is stupid. And I don't disagree. <laughs> um, I, I go to Starbucks a lot. And I've had this conversation. People try to straighten me out because their perspective is the right one and say, Chris, $5 for a coffee, go to, go to McDonald's, it's 89 cents. Like, no, you just don't get it. <laughs> you need the revelation from God. I'll pray for you. Um, it's just, it, 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 it's an indication. Um, the last time I bought a video game was for, I think, the GameCube. And so if you remember what that was, that was the last time. And so um, there, there's so many people that, like, they're spending thousands upon thousands of dollars on gaming rigs. Sounds like a semi-truck. A gaming rig. <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's just not a value to me, but, but other people wouldn't value going to antique shops and buying old stuff like I do. Um, it's just it, it, what you love will ultimately get your money. It's just part of life. And so his encouragement here is that we store our, our treasures, store for yourself treasures in heaven. Now, I've heard this preached for years and years as a spiritual, eternal 401k and investment plan. And so that is not at all the conversation here. What Jesus is doing is encouraging us to consider what ultimately really matters? Does the natural, immediate, right now matter more than the eternal, investing in what's eternal? Or should that become a, a bigger priority in our hearts and our lives, investing in people experiencing Jesus forever? Or are those shoes look totes fire? Don't say that. Um, it's easy to get consumed with the immediate because we think that the immediate is going to make us feel the way that we need to feel. But again, these are spiritual longings. That doesn't get us there. You, you get the, if you're tech savvy, if you like kind of gadgets and stuff, that iPhone 15 is just like the iPhone 14. It's, and it'll be just like the iTunes, iPhone 16. We just get addicted to getting stuff that we think, now my life is complete. And then in two years, like, oh, look at this brick. Use it as a doorstop. It just, it never satisfies. And what Jesus is encouraging us, again, is to lift our perspective, to have our priorities lifted, to say, you know what? I want to make a way to where I don't eat out every single day. Maybe that's why he brings up food. Maybe I cook at the house and so that I could actually kind of take my funds and reallocate them to things that actually 
make a difference. Is this okay? Man, Chris is talking about money. It's Jesus' fault. What really matters? What are we here for? Why are we here? Why did God take time to make a you, to make a me? Is it just to live for me? Is it just to consume? Is it just to get stuff and die? Jesus says you cannot serve two masters. And the two masters that he mentions by name is God and wealth. One is going to tell you what to do and control you. And one you're going to reject as being the thing that controls. Now, now people have preached this again for years and years. Uh, money is the root of all evil. That is not at all what God says. The, the Bible doesn't say money is the root of all evil. It says money is the root of all kinds of evil. It, it can, it, money is amoral. It doesn't, it doesn't have morality. It's a tool. It's like, it's like a chainsaw. I can, I can, I can trim the, 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 the tree in front of my house or I can cut off my pinky toe. I mean, it can be used for good or bad. And so this is, money's the same way. It's a tool, but it is one of these things in life that, that wants to control us. Wants to tell us what to do. Tell us how to feel. And, and, and this is Jesus saying, you, you have someone you serve and it's not money. What has my heart and what controls me? 1 Corinthians six twelve is this kind of beautiful little statement that, that I wanted to share. We are, uh, you are restrained by your own affections. This is uh, the Apostle Paul saying, we, we're, not putting, we're not putting limitations on you. You're not, you're blaming church leadership for restraining you. Uh, he says this, you are restrained by your own affections. In other words, you are, your life is made small by loving the wrong things by making the wrong things the most important things in your, love, in your life. And so we're restrained and we're imprisoned by living life with the wrong perspective, with the wrong priorities. Uh, I want to quote the great minister, uh, influencer, uh, one of the greatest, uh, made probably the m- most long-term impact on my life, uh, more so than most people, Mr. Rogers. Fred Rogers, uh, my, one of my favorite quotes, he's got some great ones, but he, he said this, life is deep and life is simple. And what this world, what our society gives us, or puts in front of us, is shallow and complicated. Why'd you have to go make things kind of complicated? Life is deep and simple. It's, it's not complicated. And it's, there's so much to it. And then what this world presents to us as this is what you need to live for, this is what you need to focus on is a million moving parts that all have the depth of a kiddie pool. Worrying about things that this world worries about is to subscribe to that recipe and say, that formula, and say, okay, I'm going to give myself to things that are complicated and yet shallow. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness. That is to have a kingdom perspective and to carry the priority of Jesus in his finished work for us. His kingdom come, his will be done on earth through my life, not mine, not my kingdom, not my will, his, on earth as it is in heaven. We are vessels, and we are vessels that will be filled with something. 
And there's a million things vying to be the, the thing that fills the vessel of our life. There's only one there's only one thing that can fill our life. There's only one source that can bring fulfillment, purpose, pleasure, peace, joy, and that is Christ. His righteousness, not mine. Seek first his righteousness. He doesn't say seek first your own righteousness. Why is that? Because you don't have any. (laughs) This world would be a way nicer place if we could all get to this common ground. And and this will be controversial, and I apologize. No, I don't. Uh, This is the truth. No one is good, no, not one. No one is right, no, not one. No one is righteous, no, not even one. If we could all start from this common ground, that every one of us fall short. I'm not righteous, and that person is not. I'm not right, that person's wrong. I'm not good, that person's bad. We all fall short. All righteousness, all goodness is on his side of the table, not ours. The only righteousness that we have is what he freely gives to us. It is, the the Bible talks about this in the New Testament over and over and over because it is a subject that we just cannot wrap our minds around. So it, it needs to be repeated over and over and over. We are saved by grace, through faith, not by our own goodness, so that no one can boast. You cannot save yourself. We are not, we, we get this pride, this arrogance that, can you see these knuckleheads over here? They're awful. I am right and I'm holy. They, I disagree with them politically, therefore we cannot have a relationship. That is nonsense. We all, are, we all miss the target. We all miss the mark. We all sin in a myriad of different ways. And we get mad at people for sinning differently than we sin. But since the fall in the garden, flesh has the stain of sin on it. And until we go home to be with Jesus, we live with that. We are free from the punishment, the weight, the burden of sin. But we are not free from the presence of sin. Righteous people still sin. Humility says, I, I, this is why the Bible, says, the Bible says God gives grace to the humble. It's humble people that realize, I need grace. I'm, a, I, I'm desperately in need of grace. Martin Luther once, uh, he coined the phrase, simul justus et peccator, which is Latin for simultaneously justified and sinner at the same time. At, the, at this very moment, I am 100% sinless and a sinful person at the same exact time. I want to read this to you. This is, in, uh, this is the same verses we read, or some of the same verses we read, Matthew 6, 30 through 34. But this is in the message translation. I love the, uh, the way that this is phrased. And I just want to read this as we wrap up here. What, what I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax. Relax. 
Not only did Frankie say relax, Jesus did too. <laughs> 80s people, anyone? Okay, never mind. Relax. <laughs> to not be so preoccupied with getting so that you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things, but you know both God and how he works. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find that your everyday human concerns will be met. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now and don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. His grace is sufficient in the time of need. You and I do not have grace for tomorrow. God will give us grace for tomorrow. Tomorrow. Uh, I had a conversation with someone in our church uh, a couple weeks ago about a loss in their family. And, and she was talking about how, how difficult, how, how much of a struggle it is for her and her whole family. And I said, well, we were not designed to deal with death. It's not in our makeup. We can't process it because it's so foreign to us because God didn't make us with that on the menu. And so we have this, this thing that we're having to deal with that's not in us. We have to lean on his grace because we don't have the goods in and of ourselves. We need Jesus. In the worst place a human can be is not in desperate need of Christ, but in, in living in the mentality that they don't need him. Because eventually the, the bottom drops out. The, the, the house of cards comes tumbling down, and we all hit our knees. Every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess that Christ alone is Lord, and we need him more than we think we do. Jesus is proposing a life of need. He's encouraging a life of seeking, of hungering, of thirsting, of desiring, of desperately wanting Jesus. He's presenting a focus, dare I say, an obsession that is healthy and that begins to eradicate the worry, the fear, and the anxiety that lives in our heads. I want to I want to present one of the most practical things that you're going to find in the Bible. This is, to me, one of the most useful, everyday, practical verses that I can think of. And it's Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. It's a prayer. It was an encouragement to pray. The Apostle Paul gives this, and my gosh, does this help. Be anxious for nothing. Okay, check, done, easy. But instead of that, instead of letting anxiety rule, this is what we're encouraged to do. In everything, no matter how big, how small, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, everything else will be taken care of, in everyday prayer. So as opposed to letting worry 
stress, anxiety rule in our brains, allow God to fill our hearts with peace. And as he does, the Bible says God will uh, bring peace that passes understanding, bypasses our brain. It doesn't land there. It's not a mental ascent thing. It's, it's, a, it's a gift to our spirits. It's a spiritual gift. It's speaking to the true, real, spiritual you. And then as we begin to receive that, it, it then the Bible says then it guards our hearts and it also goes back up. It takes the elevator back up and starts working on our thoughts. And it guards our minds. Peace has that kind of power. So what's being said here is instead of being anxious, instead of being worried, instead of being worried about all the other things, Stop. Cease striving. Be still. And then pray. And the beauty is here is pray, but pray with thanksgiving. So praying is for what you lack, what you need, what you, what you feel like you need to receive. But the, the simultaneous posture is pray for what you need, but with thanksgiving. Now, thanksgiving is for what you have. So it's a duality. It's, it's praying, I, I, I need something to change here, but I thank you that I am in a relationship with the one who changes everything. I, I need God to intervene, but I thank you that I'm not far off, that God, you are with me. I, you have me, I have you. It is a focus, not on the lack, but it's not ignoring what we need. It's not putting our head in the sand saying, I got everything I need. No, no, sometimes some things we need. We need things to change. We need things to, to grow, to advance. We need things to happen for us. And I, God would much rather you come to him, seek him, than try to manufacture everything in your own strength. John sixteen thirty three is one of these really tough statements to hear. But as you spend time on it, it becomes more and more good news. But Jesus says to his own disciples, in this world, you will have trouble. It is going to be tough. And you're going to feel it, and it's going to crush you. It's going to weigh you down. But this is, that's not where the sentence is. He ends. He says, but take heart. Have courage. Be encouraged that I have overcome everything. I've overcome everything. To live in that posture, to be mindful of the spiritual, to seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, to keep our eyes above the noise, to keep our hearts elevated, to allow him to to be seated with him in high places, to consider the spiritual things at all times, to continually be fixated on the God of the universe who is intimately involved in every detail and every aspect of our lives and to not let our hearts be troubled by the waves of this world. It's like we're Peter walking on the water and Jesus has got the waves under control. We just have to keep our eyes fixed on him. Jesus' entire conversation here is an encouragement to instead of just settling and throwing in the towel and feeling anxious and let this world beat us up against the rocks, to take heart because he has overcome all of this. He's brought the solution. He's brought the answer. He's solved every one of your problems on the cross. 
He paid every debt. He paid every price. And to this, to this date, I think we can all say that nothing that we've faced has taken us out yet. God has been faithful every step of the way, and he will continue to be faithful. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He's got you. He's got this, and he's going to take you to a beautiful place. And even when this stuff stings and it hurts, he promises he's going to work it all out for your good. I want to pray. If you would, just bow your heads and close your eyes. I want to pray two things before we...